Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. So we've been speaking from the Paramatma Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. And we are coming near the end of the central part of this Sandarbha. And this particular part of the Sandarbha deals with the nature of ourself, the jiva, uh, jivatma. Jiva nomenclature as used by Jiva Goswami in the Paramatma Sandarbha specifically refers to that infinitesimal part of the Supreme Lord that we are. That nomenclature jiva is referring to us when we are entangled in the material energy, the Lord's external energy. Generally, for the purposes of this presentation of the Sandarbhas, uh, Jiva refers, Jiva Goswami refers to the Atma as the pure self without involvement in the material world. And he refers to the Jivatma as that expansion of the Supreme Lord's manifestation as Paramatma in order to, I guess we would look at that manifestation of the Lord as the, the creating and maintaining aspect of the Supreme. So now we're to Anucheta 43 and we're talking in these next Anuchetas or sections about how we are different from the Supreme Lord. So, just to review, how are we alike? Jiva Goswami presented three ways in which we can see that we have great similarity with the Lord. We're mutually interdependent as energetic source and energy. So, we're a manifestation of the Lord's conscious energy. So there's a mutual likeness between the energy and the energetic source. So in that way, we're alike. He's conscious, we're conscious. And he's, from his supreme consciousness, our consciousness has been manifested as separate. The energy can't exist without an energetic source is the second way. So again, the the point being made that we don't exist without the Supreme. We're not independent. So in that way, we're alike. We're dependent on him. And the third, that the energy and the energetic are non-distinct from the point of view of what's the nature of both. We're both conscious. We both have awareness. So in this way, we have the, these are the ways that Jiva Goswami has, has, has pointed out that we have some similarities with God. He also went over extensively all of the intrinsic characteristics of ourself. And one of, us, one of them is that we're, we're infinitesimally small. And the Lord, of course, is the totality of all consciousness. And we're a simply a small particle of his consciousness. 
So now we go into the ways that the jiva is is distinct from the paramatma. Jiva says here, Now, for those desiring bhakti, Bhagavan Garbodakshai instructs Brahma in the distinction between the jiva and paramatma. So this is a verse from the third canto. Uh, wherein there's a discussion at the beginning of the creation when Brahma manifests this specific universe that we're residing in. Uh, there's a discussion. Now, Garbhodakshai Vishnu is that manifestation of the Lord, that second manifestation of the Paramatma feature of the Lord that resides within one specific universal shell, and he lies down in water in the bottom half of that universal shell and sprouts a lotus from his navel. And from that lotus, Lord Brahma is manifest and Lord Brahma doesn't know what's going on. Where did I come from? How did I get here? What's the source of my existence? And what am I here for? What am I supposed to do? So there, after... Brahma contemplates seriously after hearing a couple an instructive three instructive words tapa 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 think serious just think you know perform before some deep thought because that was his tapa he didn't have anything else to you know it wasn't like he could stand in water or surround himself with fire so tapa means tapas to be austere to perform some some sacrifice in pursuit of knowledge or there's also sacrifices that are in pursuit of other things but in this instance Brahma wanted to know what was going on so his tapas his sacrifice was in pursuit of awareness or knowledge and so he contemplated well, what what's going on and in that contemplation, he he was given a spiritual revelation. In that spiritual revelation, he actually talked to God, and this is one of the how the discuss, one of the verses spoken by the Lord to Brahma. On recognizing the self to be devoid of the five gross elements, the senses, the gunas, and the inner receptacle of thoughts and feelings and simultaneously as accompanying me in its own true self-identity, one attains to sovereignty. Swarajya. Jiva Goswami goes on as he normally does. He explains the verse according to his understanding. He says, the self devoid of the material elements and so on is a reference to the pure jiva. Accompanying me means united in its own true self-identity, Swarupera, I'm sorry, Swarupena, with me, the potent source, Shaktiman, of the jiva Shakti. Sovereignty, Swarajya, means the four kinds of devotional liberation, such as sarsti, or the liberated state of participation 
in opulence similar to that of Bhagavad. Okay, so first of all, Brahma, recognize your true self as not the not of the nature of the dead elements of the world that you're about to create. On recognizing this self as devoid of the five gross elements, five gross elements in this instance, it refers to earth, water, fire, air, and ether. So these are the gross material elements. So basically, Krishna, God, is saying to Brahma, realize you're not earth, water, fire, air, ether. You're none of that. So recognize that. You're not, don't become involved in it. It's kind of hard for us to say, well, wow, we're not earth, water, fire, air, ether, but look at our body. What, what constitutes our body? So the more we self-relate with the body, then we think we are these elements. And you'd be hard-pressed to say you are not this body. But the Lord's instructing Brahma, don't go there. That's, a, that's not what you really are. You're something much more than that. The senses, we have senses, so he's telling you're not the senses. So not, are, not only aren't you the the elements of your body, you're not the senses of your body. Your ears, your eyes, your nose, your tongue, your sense of, of, of touch. You're not that either. Okay. And you're not the gunas. You're not the modes of material nature. You're not those... You're not those senses of yourself, that, se that sense of self wherein you are knowledgeable, wherein you are passionate, wherein you are ignorant. So you're not that either. You're not the modes of material nature. You're not the, the elements of your body. You're not the senses of the body which you inhabit. And the inner receptacles of thoughts and feelings you're not that either. You're not your mind, your intelligence, or your false ego. Brahma's there, well, what's left? <laughs> what, what else, what am I then? You've just told me everything that I would think I am from this experience of being born in the world. Brahma's birth, birth of course, we would say is quite unique. There was no mother involved. He basically, well, it appeared he came out of a plant, out of a flower, you know, a lotus. So it's a unique birth, but still a birth nonetheless in a material situation with a body, with mind, intelligence, and a sense of self and senses. So the Lord saying, okay, so know who you are. You're not any, anything to do with the birth that you just took. Okay, then. The natural question would be, what are you? So Krishna goes on. He says, 
And simultaneously, you should see also what you are. So first what you aren't. Now, simultaneously, in understanding that and coming to that revelation, to that realization, know what you actually are. You accompany me. You're part of me. There's not a lot of distinction between you and me. Um, and that's your real identity in its own true, that's your own true self-identity. Don't see yourself as separate from me. And if you could do that, you're going to attain sovereignty. And in, in this particular verse, what Krishna is saying, what the sovereignty he's referring to is liberation. So what's a sovereign enjoy? He enjoys wealth. So if you recognize you're with me and realize you're not the elements of the body, the mind, the senses, you're not your feelings, you're not your self sense of self independent of a sense of being with me, then you're going to be liberated. You're going to, you're going to be in the proper frame of mind. You're going to be with me. And what am I? Well, I'm the Supreme Lord. And guess what? I have it all. You're, you're, you're going to have everything. And that everything can be experienced in what you would call liberation from the ignorance of thinking you're a material body. And that liberation can be experienced variously. So that sovereignty could be experienced as you could live on the same planet as I do. You could have, have a similar form to the form that I have, completely spiritual. You could have this, all of the opulences that I have, sarsti. And so what are the, and what's the other liberation? Live on the same, you can have the same form, swarupa, Salokya, live with me on the same, uh, be my associate, Samipya, and Sarsti. You can have everything I have. Whatever I have is yours. Whatever you have is mine. So that's, in that way, you can see the point that Jiva's trying to express here is this, by looking at this verse, we can see that there is a distinctiveness between ourselves and the Supreme, our source, but there's also a likeness. And if you can maintain that consciousness that's expressed here, when the Lord talked to the creator of the whole material universe, then that's an ideal, that's an ideal consciousness of a likeness and separateness. So in this way, Jiva is using this verse uh, to bring out these points. I'll quickly run through the commentary. And I'm going to try to move kind of quickly in these next three classes to finish this section. Uh, there's only uh, five or six autochetas, and some of them are short. I'm going to try to go through the, to the end of the Jiva section, not section, an anachet is a section, the center section of the, the Paramatma Sandarbha, 
so that we end there and then after Guru Maharaj's visit we'll continue with the Baharangi Shakta, the, the, the Shakti that is the elements of a material universe which is what we experience uh, from our viewpoint right now. So in section 37 Sri Jiva argued that the reasons why scriptures describe the Jiva sometimes as one with Paramatma and sometimes as distinct from him is that such contrasting instructions are actually intended for two different types of spiritual aspirants. In the two previous sections, Sri Jiva cited statements from the Bhagavatam that laid stress on the identity of the Jiva and Paramatma, how we're alike, those three items of alikeness, explaining that their purpose is to provide a basis for those who desire Brahma-gyan, knowledge of the, their oneness in Brahman or their oneness in, in spirit. Now he discusses other verses that speak of the, their distinction to serve as a foundation for bhakti. So we've kind of thoroughly gone over this. If you're going to have a loving relationship with somebody, you need to know, you need to not see them as in every way identical with yourself. So, I mean, there are spiritual aspirants that look at the Supreme and say, well, we're a particle of that consciousness, that Supreme consciousness, and if we can just adjust our way of thinking and feeling and willing and we can aspire to a spiritual position where there's no distinction between ourselves and God, that's, that's, that's the ideal of spiritual revelation. That's okay for certain spiritual aspirants. You are God and I am God and we are all together. And if we can get out of the material predicament that we're in and be freed of our ignorance where we, we think we are going to enjoy in this world and we are this material body, and if we can just free ourselves from that mentality, we're going to become one with the supreme spiritual reality of it all. Well, that's one aspect of God. He is that all-pervading spiritual energy that runs through everything. That's one way to look upon it, and that's one as spiritual aspiration. You could aspire to be, just merge into that spiritual energy. But there's no distinctiveness in there. There's no separation there. You don't get to see if you're one with the Supreme and you have a concept of the Supreme without the Brahman concept is a concept wherein the Supreme doesn't have any distinctive features. It's just spiritual energy and your spiritual energy. So we're all spiritual energy and you aspire for that. But there's much more to the Supreme than just the fact that he's supremely energetic with, with, the, with, with consciousness that's not... Um, hampered by materialist materialism, he's much more than that. He has a whole. He has. He's full of spiritual potencies. That's why we call God Krishna. He has. He's all. He's. 
he's all beautiful. He has all sweetness. He's called Bhagavan. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, renunciation. He has all these distinctive spiritual characteristics of which we have a very small fragmental part of. So now Jiva's talking verses that speak to the bhakti. And for bhakti, bhakti means love. How can you love yourself when when you, that's your spiritual aspiration. You become the self. There's no distinction between you and the object of love. That's Brahman realization. I'm God, you're God, we're God. And when we free ourselves of ignorance, we're all going to be together as the one God. Well, no. The Bhakti doesn't, the bhakti doesn't want that. He wants God to be God and he wants to be the particle of God that he is, and have a relationship. The distinction allows for love. So bhakti yoga, yoga means we can have a loving relationship with the Supreme because we're like him. There's a lot of things that we're alike with God. We're not the material body. We actually are a, a, a spiritual personality. So in that respect, we are the same as God, but He's the complete whole, and we're the we're the part. He's he's the object of love, and we are the vessel of love. So their distinction. Now he discusses the verses that speak of their distinction to serve as the foundation for bhakti. So spiritual scripture basically deals with all the aspirations that the human being can have in relationship to his spiritual self. Now, we're not going to argue with those that want to become one with God unless they want to say that their way is the only way. We accept their way, but sometimes the Brahma bodies, the people that just want to merge into that spiritual energy, they don't they they have a hard time recognizing that there's another way to conceive of and actually experience spiritual reality and that is bhakti that's having a loving relationship with the supreme so the commentary goes on for those who are sincerely drawn to bhakti knowledge of the distinction between the individual self and god is essential for without it there cannot there can be no bhakti. Devotion involving the flow of love and service between lover and beloved cannot find support in singularity. Rather, devotion implies a distinction between its vessel, ashraya, and its object, visaya. The former the former is the jiva, the latter Bhagavan, or any other nomenclature, Krishna, God whatever nomenclature we want to use, well, Rama. So the way we relate in love to the Lord also can be different from other other people. Not everybody's going to relate with the Lord in the same way. Some people were attracted to the Lord's opulences and powers and his, you know, we call that the Vaikuntha conception, Lakshmi Narayan. Um, 
some are some are attracted to uh, to uh, an aspect of the Lord which is the ideal human being, Lord Brahma, ideal, perfect in every way, and that's their their ideal. But there's also other aspects of the Lord. And one of those aspects is Krishna. In the Krishna aspect, we have all the sweetness. The present verse was spoken by Bhagavan Vishnu to his son Brahma at the beginning of a new creation cycle. It is significant to note that Bhagavan instructed the first being of the universe on the distinction between himself and the jiva, and not on their oneness, he thus favors bhakti over jnana. So we believe God is an individual person with his own likes and dislikes. And if you want to approach him, he'd rather you approach him with love than approaching him with the aspiration of actually merging into him or becoming him in, in every way. 44th Anucheta. The logic of the distinction between the jiva and paramatma. The Anucheta reads as follows. Now Bhagavan Krishna states the reason for describing the distinction between the jiva and paramatma. Now we have a verse from the discussion, a discussion between the Supreme Lord and Uddhava in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. Self-realization for the jiva who is saddled with beginningless ignorance, is not possible by his own efforts. It is possible only if knowledge is imparted to him by another who knows the reality. For an explanation of this verse, Jiva Goswami goes to the commentary of Sridhar Swami, which he has so many times in the past. Knowledge of the self is not possible by one's own endeavor, swata, but is possible to be re- but is possible to be received from another. Therefore, the omniscient Parameshwar is distinct from one's own self, the jiva. This is the intention of those philosophers who accept twenty-six elements. We went over the 26, the counting of the elements in the last discussion. So 26 is a counting whereby there is a distinction made in the way the Sankhya philosophy presents the, the manifestation of the material universe. And in that counting where there are 26 elements, the Paramatma, the Supreme Lord, the, manif- the manifesting agent God who creates the material manifestation from his different different manifestations even within himself Karna Dakshai Vishnu Garbo Dakshai Vishnu Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu so uh, Sridhar Swami also comments knowledge of the self is not possible by one's own endeavor but is possible to be received from another. Therefore, the omniscient Paramashwar is distinct from one's own self, the jiva. This is the intention 
of those philosophers who accept 26 elements. That's where we were. We were, we were at the element count. Okay, so 26 elements. Jiva and Paramatma are counted separately. The Anacheda goes on. Iswara's status, the Supreme Lord's status, of being the bestower of knowledge, here informs us that he is distinct from both such knowledge and its knower. In a similar vein, Uddhava says further on in this chapter of the Bhagavatam, the jiva's knowledge verily comes from you and it is stolen away by your potency of maya. If Ishwara's supremacy is considered to be nothing more than an imaginary product of the jiva's ignorance, all right, so Jiva Goswami goes back to pounding the post. I really want you to recognize the distinction between Advaitavad and Bhaktivad. <laughs> you really have to get this because if you don't get this distinction, you're gonna you can become bewildered in your spiritual practice. How what would be the necessity of God speaking knowledge to you to help you if you yourself were of the same exact nature of the Supreme. If you're both the same, there's what's the need for the distinctive of knowledge? Here we're talking in the, from the Uddhava Gita, Krishna's speaking about uh, you can get knowledge from somebody that's in knowledge, from somebody that's actually had spiritual revelation they can pass on knowledge to you whereby you can have the same spiritual experiences. But if you're already God, like the Brahmavadi's conception, then what's the need for this transmission of knowledge from one to the other? Because they're all the one. So, then his imparting of knowledge would also not be feasible any more than the humanness of a tree stump mistaken for a man. So in the darkness we could see a tree and think, oh, it's, there's a man over there. Uh, Consequently, the distinction between the jiva and as far as real. In this way, it is self-evident that it can be only Sriman Ishvara himself endowed with the transcendental self-identity of being the supreme regulator who thus informs the unenlightened of his existence. Those who uphold the view that a distinction exists between the jiva and paramatma accept that such awareness of distinction is the result of supreme discrimination, paramaviveka, as indicated in the in the very same discussions. Whatever views have been put forth regarding the classification of tattvas by different philosophers in accordance with discriminated wisdom can accept, we ex accept as valid because such assertion is born of its own logical reasoning. Again, we go back to there's different philosophers. Different philosophers present different ways of looking at the supreme reality and we can see that they have validity 
they have validity in as much as what? Whatever views have been put forth regarding the classification of tattvas. Again, we're back to a reference to the elements of the material creation. And we talked about they can they people that utilize the Sankhya philosopher to explain material manifestation, the creation of the material cosmos, they they can all the different tattvas like like first of all the five gross elements earth, water, fire, air, ether, the five subtle elements, the tan mantras, the five senses, the sense objects. So and the working senses. So we look at that, there's twenty right there. So these are twenty different tattvas of the Sankhya philosophy or the philosophical system whereby certain people look to the material manifestation. And then you have mind, intelligence, false ego. Then you have all of those combined together either with or without the conscious unmanifested conglomerate and the material unmanifested conglomerate looked at together as the mahat or looked at separately. So sometimes the counting is is uh, 27. And then you have the Paramatma or the Paramatma separate. Anyway, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting way of looking. So that's what's being discussed here. All these logical presentations of what, however your counting is, whether you count a cause with its effect as one, or you will see them as distinct and different. And that's basically where the counting changes. That's why in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna's counting there is only 13. He, he, he puts the causes and the effect in the same, as the same thing. It's, you know, the energy and the energetic. So now we're back to looking, we can even look at that as, a, as an example of that way of presenting the Sankhya philosophy. So whatever it is, as long as it logically arrives at the proper conclusion, all glories. It's okay. We'll go for it. At the same time, Jiva continues, however, there are also, they also acknowledge that the occasion of such a variety of standpoints in all these cases is due only to Bhagavan's potency, Maya, as expressed in these words. What indeed, and this again is from the Uddhava Gita in the, in the 11th canto, what indeed is difficult to establish for philosophers who put forth their views by accepting my extrinsic potency, Maya. If you accept, if you, if, if you want to philosophize about the material manifestation and how you count elements and how you what whatever conclusions you may arrive to knock yourself out basically is what Krishna's saying because you're in my maya and there's unlimited ways of looking at everything that's happening around you and that's just the nature of the material world and if you don't take help because remember where's this anacheta going Go back to the verse. The original verse is saying, if you want to get out of this place, you're going to need help. 
You're not going to figure it out on your own. So what's being said here by Jiva is, by quoting Krishna in the Uddhava Gita, he's basically said, Krishna's saying to Uddhava, whatever way you want to philosophize about the material manifestation, knock yourself out. It'll be like beating your head against the wall. You're not going to come to a definitive conclusion. And you and you are going to argue, and you and you are, and you and my, the arguing's going to go on forever regarding, well, how did it happen? Was it a big bang? Was it, is it, was, did God create it all in the beginning? Where did it come from? How did it come from? How does it, how does it wind up? Is the sun going to explode and everything end? Does it ever come to an end? Is it eternal? How many ways can we think of, of, what, of the situation that we're in and the material universe and the way we're experiencing it? It's unlimited, Krishna's saying. It's part of my maya. Have fun. <laughs> You're going to be forever bewildered. Or maybe you can take direction from me. And here, I hear some direction. Oh, I had a dear devotee and he was in a predicament. Life is full of predicaments. But in his predicament, he was on a battlefield and he was in a certain circumstance. And I tried to help him out. And that dialogue is still there, and it's still there for us to take advantage of. Why don't you see how I helped him out? And how he finally gave up his own personal likes and dislikes and accepted the spiritual knowledge that I imparted to him. Or look to the Bhagavatam. It's full of other stories of other people that are in the same place that you are. Whether you're in a well, whether you're in a river being attacked by a crocodile, whatever, the, and then just one circum, whether you're a king who's just lost his son, whether you, you know, you're in the, that's the Bhagavatam. Again and again, the same message. If you take help from those that aren't in the illusion that you're in, you can make spiritual progress. Any questions? Thank you so much for your association.